Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Well, good to see everybody. Um, welcome everybody who's joined us online in other towns and cities, everybody in the room. It was two weeks ago um, today. I got up. Well, I didn't get up. I woke up on a Saturday morning. I don't think I've taken a sick day in 20 years, the last 20 years. I woke up and I thought, something is really wrong with me. I've been around so many people who had COVID. I was sure that I had it and was asymptomatic. But when you're, it was like the weirdest thing. It felt like I had 10,000 spiders crawling on me all the time. And your ankles and your wrists and your elbows were just on fire. I didn't get out of bed for probably five and a half days. But I'm back to about 80% now. I'm not contagious. I'm scared of needles. So I thought, why not just get the virus, you know? <laughs> not really. Not really. Um, it gives me <laughs> renewed uh, passion for all of you that have already had it, but uh, thanks so much for uh, being flexible over the last couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm just about back. My voice is a little hoarse. So two weeks ago, I was really excited about doing a year-end in review. We do this about every year, and for many, maybe any of you who are, are new or you're not familiar with church, or maybe even you're what we call spiritually unresolved. You're trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus. I just hope this gives you a chance to understand a little bit of, about the heart of this church, some of our values, and then also helps to inform you a little bit as you're moving forward. I, I really believe that you want to be a part of a church that you can trust, and that is just absolutely essential for me. So I want to just go through a couple of things. Many of you who have partnered in any way over the past year would have received something in the mail. I want to go through that and add a couple of things because we have some really uh, exciting things to celebrate. So we'll do this. And then I have, I have just six things that I feel um, we're to renew our commitment to in, in the future. So here's a little bit of our, our uh, annual report a couple of weeks late. First slide, please. Um, we have these values that we really try to live out. We try to, they just come directly from the New Testament in particular. So save people, serve people. This number, even, even with how weird 2020 was, I just think of that 42,000 hours of people serving in different capacities. And so to all of you who are involved in that, that is a beautiful thing. That's what changes communities. Next slide, please. Found people, find people. Um, one of the reasons we emphasize camp, and I've got some exciting stories to tell you about that, is it's just a chance for kids. I love that Camp on the Boulder has no cell phone access. It's like one of my favorite things there is. You just like, you see the face of kids as they're on the, we don't even tell them don't bring your phone. Because once you get just off the interstate, it's like, what? This thing's not working. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Decisions for Christ, that was a little bit different. In past years, we've had a few more, but um, even with the strange years been, almost 500 people made a commitment to begin to follow Jesus. This is a modified number from what you may have received in the mail, but um, getting baptized, taking those next steps, being a part of a, hey, I'm a new believer. How do I start to grow? Nearly 400 people involved in that. 
Um, this number is really important to me. I think especially at a bigger church. So when, you, when you're at a large church, it, it would be possible to come and sit here and come regularly even and leave and not have a relationship. So this is one of our key numbers that we pay attention to. And even in a strange year, of over 1,400 people were involved in different small groups. If I could just tell you, I, here's what we find. Okay, this, this would bear itself out nationally as well. People who struggle in relationships, if you're going through a crisis, uh, a marriage relationship, job crisis, we find this, that if you're in a group of people who follow Jesus and you follow him together, you're much less likely for that crisis to really end in severe consequences. I just, I believe that we need this. We just need people around us who can look at us at times when we need encouragement and breathe encouragement into us. We need people who can help bring correction at times to our life. So there's a value. Um, I'm a part of a couple of small groups because I really believe in this. And maybe if you're here and you thought, yeah, you know, I've never done that. I'd encourage you call Will and Jennifer. Um, there are small groups, pastors, and just find a way to get involved with people and live your life with some people some strong people who can help you along the way. And they need you as well. So God is generous, so we are too, is another value. Um, missionary sent in, 29, in 2020 is 19. That's a great number. We're sending church, I'll talk about that. Invested in local and global missions efforts, almost one and a half million dollars there. That is, that is a, just an incredible number. And we, we actually are part of a movement of churches. I think we get to lead the whole group of churches in that way. And then hours given. We couldn't do all of our normal missions trips. We have trips going out all over the globe, but still oh, 2,700 plus hours in missions. So this is huge to us. This is how all the money. So whenever I talk about money around here, the first thing I do is say thank you. Thanks to everybody who's a part of this and you know, I know that some of us have capacity to give larger amounts and some of us have capacity to give smaller amounts. I love the account when Jesus is watching a group of people give and um, he notices that there's a really poor widow and she gives just a few cents. And Jesus says she gave more than anyone else because she gave out of her need, not out of her excess. And so I just want you to know, like every dollar that is given, we want to steward so well. So we have a church council so they're not employees of the church. They're just made up of just people like you who are business savvy. And they oversee all the finances of the church. They set the budget every year, have a monthly meeting with them where they hold us accountable to the budget. And so I think it creates a really healthy space. We want to be, as a church, we want to be the best place to give to and through. Meaning that we keep our, our staff as minimal as possible so that the money you give can actually change lives. And that's why, we, like you give money, why? Because we want to see the world change. We want to see lives changed. And so this is how your giving was broken up. Ministry support and administration is just over 20%. Outreach and missions, almost 18%. Kids and students is a huge value, over 17%. Weekend ministry, 13.5%. Occupancy, that's like you know, paying electricity bills and all of that, 10.5% extra principal payments. I'll talk more about that. Almost 7% groups and care ministry, 6.7%. Church planning and campuses, 4.2%. Capital improvements, just keeping the building up to date. And um, th this is, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this story. But uh, 
So some years ago, we're just blessed. You're sitting in a building that somebody, uh, you know, had vision for, and then a lot of people in this room gave towards it. And when we got here eight and a half years ago, we had a pretty significant debt. And our, our church council and our staff came together and said, you know what? What if we could avoid paying our bank? The number would be about $2.3 million in interest. If we just paid this debt off over the next 20 plus years, what if we just found a way to eliminate debt and then that $2.3 million that would have gone towards interest payments, we could say, let's, let's leverage that towards the things that God would really value. Like dealing with people who are in poverty, sending missionaries. So last year in January, we had just under 600,000. We've been making triple principal payments. We had all been sacrificing to do this. And um, I just got, look at this. Zero, zero, zero. Yeah, isn't that great? <clears throat> so I, I know everybody in the room, you're like, you know, I wish my mortgage was paid off. Yeah, I, I wish my mortgage was paid off. Um, but your church's mortgage is paid off, and that's really good news. So here's a great story. There's a couple, when we did this last year, they saw this number. It was just over 500000 And I'm driving home on Saturday night after service, and I get a call from this family. And they join us. They live in Arizona during the winter. And um, they were just watching online this service. And they called me on my way home, and um, he said, I'll try not to use his name, but he said, hey, my wife and I were watching the service, and we saw, you guys only owe like 550000 on the mortgage? You know, it's kind of fun if you can say only, and the number 550000 And I'm like, yep. Yeah. He goes, I'll tell you what, we'll take care of that. And two weeks later, <laughs> they took care of it. And so rather than being paid off in August, we were able to pay off much, much sooner. And, and now <clears throat> all those thousands of dollars that was going towards a mortgage payment we're now able to be more generous than ever before in our lives. And we're making really strategic decisions on where that money goes so that we can be the best stewards possible. Next slide, please. Um, this is a great number. Just during Christmas, $427,000 went towards increased Christmas and all year. Pastor Glenn will be up here and he'll tell you like how we're utilizing that and, and how lives are being changed. So thanks for that incredible generosity. So looking forward, some of the things that are happening in the future, 221 and beyond. Um, let me tell you a couple stories about summer camp. In fact, I want to show you a, a picture. Some of you haven't been able to ever see our camp. And I mean, yeah, thank you for jumping ahead. So this is on the Boulder River Valley. And I bet 18 years ago, um, I was living, I was a, a pastor in Oregon and I had friends who, who served here at Faith Chapel and they invite me out to come speak at summer camp. And so some of you, like, like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. And we'd go up to this place called Camp on the Boulder. It's up the uh, Boulder Valley. So if you went to Big Timber and then just headed south, um, about, I don't know, after a half an hour down a dirt road, you think I must have missed it? No, you just go another half an hour and then you'll find it. And so uh, four years ago, um, the United Methodists, just closed the camp. They just said, you know, we're, it just doesn't make sense for us to operate it. So we went and met with them. And I told them this. I said, hey, we're trying to pay off debt. We don't want any loans or anything. And so for the last three years, they've let us lease it. Um, lease it for uh, $5,000 per year. 
Okay, <laughs> not a bad deal, right? And then they got to the point where they said, hey, um, we, we want to sell it. And I said, you know, we just, we don't want to take out loans. And I just want to say this to United Methodists. Thank you for your incredible generosity. They had an opportunity to sell this to a development company. It's about 65 acres. They could have got 2 million additional just to sell it to a development company that would have knocked everything down and divided up into one or two acre parcels. So we told them, well, here's what the appraisers say it's worth. It was worth a couple million less than development. And it probably has 30 or 40 years of deferred maintenance. <laughs> so we had a little work to do. A lot of you guys, you know what I'm talking about. You've been there with me or with somebody else. So just in January, uh, December 31st, actually, we signed a contract where the United Methodists are giving us a no interest loan. They own it clean outright. And for the next five years, we'll just take half of what we were paying on the mortgage for this building and uh, we'll pay it off in its entirety. And so five years from now, this camp will uh, be ours. Here's why we do that. Uh, I'll spend, Jenny and I will spend four or five weeks up there this summer. Lives are changed at camp. And, um, you know, I'm at the point in my life where I'm thinking more and more about the future. And every, every week I'm up there, and then there are countless retreats that happen throughout the year. I, I just see kids having their lives completely altered. Having an encounter with Jesus that it's hard to have in any other setting. And so I just, just thanks to the United Methodists and thanks to your generosity, like, we just don't have to carry any debt. There's no interest involved. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It is so cool. I hope if you haven't been there, head up sometime. And it, can you go back to that picture one more time? Um, I'm constantly trying to get to the top of this. I still haven't. There's no trail. And the easy side is private property. So I keep trying to scale these shoots and I'm terribly unsuccessful. If anybody's gotten there, let me know how. Um, if you can go back then, uh, missions in the Middle East. I, we can't talk a lot about this because of security, but we've got a team of between seven and even up to 13 people who are, they're getting everything together. They're raising their support. We're going to send them to one of these closed access countries. And there's all kinds of challenges involved in that. But I just, it's something I've really never heard of. Like, this is an amazing thing to have a group of, they're all like in their early 30s and 20s. And they're saying, we're going to go as a group of people from the same church. And we're heading to a Muslim country to tell people who Jesus is. Church Online, I'll talk about that in a moment. And one of the things we're exploring, so a lot of what COVID has been, it's just been a pain in the keister, right? But it has helped us to think a lot about reaching rural cities in Montana. We're always trying to plant churches. But it's been fascinating online, just watching people um, gather together. A lot of their churches haven't been meeting. You know, if you drive through any little town in northern Wyoming or North Dakota or Montana, there's, all, there's churches there, but a lot of them, they can't afford to have a pastor anymore. So there are these amazing relationships, like at Christmas time. Um, people who call Faith Chapel their home but don't live in Yellowstone County were renting out their local movie theaters because almost every, you know, every little town has a movie theater. They'd rent it out. We'd get them a DVD of the Christmas service and they'd invite their friends. We had all these like Christmas Eve services happening throughout rural areas. It was beautiful. Um, if we go to the next slide. So one of the things that's changed a lot is October of 2019, 
This was our online viewership. Okay, just under 500, like 250. And then, does anybody remember what happened kind of around the spring? Um, <laughs> so some of this has just been like, what do we do, right? But we've got to figure out how do we adapt? Here's what I know. Jesus is going to build his church. Um, the good news has to be preached. We need to worship together. But a lot of people are choosing to do it out of necessity initially, are choosing to do this online. So this has been our increase. And who says this is their church online? It's over 2,000 people a weekend. So how do we respond to that, right? Um, how do we like help people grow in their faith? Because we don't want, so any of you who are watching online right now, what we don't want is we don't want just viewership, right? Because we're called to be disciples, followers. We're involved in the mission of Jesus. And it's not just, we don't, we don't want church to be something that you watch just like you watch a weekly TV program. You're an observer. By its very nature, New Testament Christianity is participatory, right? It's not just viewership. It's, no, no, this is, this is meant to feed your soul so that you can go be a minister, right? So everybody online, that's what we want. And so we're, we're just working through this. How best do we do this? Next couple of slides will show a little bit more about this whole online phenomenon. We don't, here's the other thing, it's so hard to know. If this is our geographic area, these, are, these little circles are the people who tune in every week. And so how do you do pastoral care for somebody that lives in Alaska <laughs> or in Mexico City or wherever it might be? So this is causing us to think very, very differently. Next slide, I'll show you just even globally where people are tuning in from every week. And this is like, so geography isn't like the thing that dominates us anymore in terms of church attendance. So we're really exploring this. We have one more slide perhaps. No, I think we had already shown that. So uh, here's just a couple of things I, I want to say. One is um, thanks. Thanks for your incredible generosity and for flexibility. I know during 2020 with COVID, you ever find a year where people have more opinions about more things, right? <laughs> and some of you so kindly shared your opinions with me. Thank you. I'm a good listening ear. But um, in the end, like we just needed to move forward and do the very best we could. Here's what I know. Next time we'll have a pandemic, I'm, I'm going to be way more prepared for it. I have some experience now. And um, I'm sure we stumbled along the way, but we were prayerfully constantly saying, God, how best do we do this? How best do we love you, honor God first, and then honor people as well? So can I go through just a, a few thoughts on the future? I have six things I'd like to talk about. Six commitments. Um, number one, some of these are going to be very obvious, but they're at the core of who we are. A renewed commitment to the good news of Jesus. So there's this ongoing thing in the New Testament that you'll read it. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John or any of Paul's letters, it's the good news or often the gospel. And here's the good news in, in, in part is that humanity, we just didn't have a way to achieve God. Like we, we're sinful, we're broken. That's part of the gospel as well is that you and I can't fix ourselves. We can't fix what's broken between us and God. And so the story of God, the story of the good news is that Jesus came as a man and lived the life that none of us have ever been able to live. Not the best of us died in our place, was resurrected, and now we are a part of this. 
We were, when you're in Jesus, you were crucified with him. Your, your debts were paid for and then you were resurrected. So there's this new life. So this is what just, just swept across the Roman world during the first century. This, when people heard it, they're like, that's the best news I've ever heard. Are you kidding me? Like there's, there's a solution to my sin and my guilt. And there's a solution to my death. Like I, I, I could follow Jesus and be a part of what he's doing in this world. So this renewed commitment to the good news. Here's what I found. I think during a year like 2020, what do we really need? We need Jesus. We need the good news. I want to read a scripture, which we studied some weeks ago, which is just resonated in my soul. First Corinthians two, one through five. Paul says this as he's referring to his experience when he came to Corinth. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence. It's not going to be our primary concern is how slick we are. What a professional presentation. Nope. Or human wisdom. This isn't about who's the best thinker in the room and, 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 and whoa, that was brilliant. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved. This is a word that we're just holding on to. There is a resolution. As culture does its thing, as changes happen, we're going to resolve to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Just this past year, I've always been committed to this. We've always been committed to this. But more than ever, a renewed commitment to the good news. There are so many important things out there. Absolutely. There are important political issues. There are important um, social issues. All of those are important. But for us as a church, we're committed. We're resolved to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the most important thing. Here's our second commitment as 2021 comes around and ahead. A commitment to some, some sort of innovation. Okay, innovation. Now, when I showed you those slides and how radically this church has changed, that over half of our weekend population is not in the room anymore. So I'm, I'm talking to a lot of you right now. We are going to have to be innovative. You know, we've been doing church kind of the same way for probably 40 or 50 years that we kind of have our own liturgy. We, we kind of rely on people coming together. We gather, we worship, and there's time for interaction. And hopefully you, you talk to somebody in the atrium and then you engage with the Lord in, in worship. And there's something of encouragement that happens during the teaching. You're equipped and you go. Well, what do we do now when just like that, over half the church isn't in the room? You don't have the same experience. So we're just trying to innovate. So we've done some interesting things. We've taken about nine of our staff and said, here's what we need. You're specifically our online church staff. So we have somebody who does in charge of online kids ministry, online small groups, online missions, all of that, online pastoral care. This is a brand new thing for us. I fielded a call just a couple of weeks ago from somebody who was having marriage problems. And I said, well, why don't you come in and meet? I live in Texas, but you guys are my church. All right, how do we do this? So this commitment to innovate, there's a scripture that really has been important to me. This is from Acts chapter 15, and there's a big hubbub happening in the early church during this time. They're trying to figure out, dealing with the non-Jewish world, how, how much of their non-Jewishness, do they have to let go and become Jewish, right? This is the resolve at the end of this long theological debate. 
Um, the guy who's leading the church says this, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles. It's people who were Greek and Roman and background were non-Jewish. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So here's what I think. Part of me is really concerned about the online world. But here's the other thing. All of a sudden, geography doesn't matter. Seating capacity in a room doesn't matter. Parking doesn't matter. Now there's this incredible opportunity and we're finding people turning to Jesus and somehow, someway finding a church in Montana. I don't even know how it happens. But all of a sudden we're figuring out how can we make it as simple as possible. We're not talking about doling down the message of Jesus, but how do we take away the barriers to make it as easy as possible for people who are turning to God to find him? And so this is going to take innovation on our part. It's going to take innovation on your part. We're always going, like having people in this room, I love. And I hope this always continues. But now we have to think about an entirely different room that's called like a cyber room. And so how can we be as innovative as possible, committed, absolutely committed to the message of Jesus? But our methodologies are going to have to adapt right? When, when drive around, if you're not in Billings, it's probably the same in your town. Drive around your town, look at a Sears building. I look at what used to be a Kmart, but is now a grocery store. There are all these businesses in town where the world changed and they just weren't able to change it with it. The church always holds on to the same message, but as the world changes, let's just pray that Jesus builds the church in a way that it's not difficult for people who are turning to God to find God. So a commitment, a commitment to innovation. Number three, a commitment to making disciples. So what does it mean to make a disciple? A disciple is a follower. It was this beautiful term that Jesus used. It was common in first century Judaism. You found a rabbi who was a teacher and then you followed the rabbi and you became a disciple where you just tried to learn everything you could from the rabbi. And the New Testament teaches us this, the purpose of the local church. So our purpose here is not buildings. It's not, all those are just simply tools. Our job is to make disciples. So that is our goal every single weekend, whether you're tuning in online, you're in the room, is how can we help people be disciples? So a renewed commitment to that, not just believers. Okay, and I know there's some of us who are engaged right now and you're like, well, I'm coming to believe. And that's wonderful. We celebrate that. But what we want eventually for you is that you follow Jesus, is that you surrender everything to him. And it's a process. All of us are involved in that process. I want to read this scripture and we're going to make a few comments from this actually. This is from Acts chapter 13. Now the church in Antioch is a really neat church. It's uh, north of Jerusalem. There were prophets, notice this, plural. There were teachers, plural. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. One of the things we know about this is, this is a man from North Africa at the time. This is a man who's uh, Jewish. Lucius is Greek. He's from the, the island of Cyrene. Menea, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So he's probably part of the upper class, a nobleman. And Saul, who's going to become Paul. So you've got this variety of people. You've probably got people who probably were rich and some who were poor, people of different ethnicities, 
And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so that's kind of the, the heart of the church, they're focused on him, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And that was the beginning of the first missionary journey for Paul and Barnabas. That's when the church planting movement starts. So we, we just have this renewed, I have a passion to make disciples and then not just make disciples, but send disciples to equip people. Because if, if you've been a part of this for any length of time, you know this, I'm gonna downplay my job. My job is to teach, equip, and encourage and it's all of our jobs to be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus, to be engaged in the actual work of Jesus here on planet Earth. So we introduce them to Jesus, we, we do it in a comprehensible fashion, and then we help everybody grow. Because wouldn't it be better, do you think it's better for us to have like 10 full-time pastors or 4,000 ministers? You know it, right? Because you are the pastor to your workplace. You are the prophet. You are the teacher. You are the encourager to your neighborhood, your cul-de-sac, your apartment complex, your city, wherever it is. And so this renewed commitment to equip disciples. And that goes with number four. It's a commitment to equipping and sending. It's just that more so than ever, I think especially as the, the, the uh, well, just the landscape of the church changes, just equipping people, equipping people. So even in our meetings, we're asking this, how do we equip people? We could do that. Would that help build someone to begin to do the work of Jesus in their little town, in their big city, in their neighborhood? And here's the first, fifth commitment, commitment to community. So I will tell you this, for everybody who's online, one of, one of my concerns is how best do you build community when you're online? And we're trying some interesting things. We've got, you can view together, you can um, stop and communicate. We've got kind of our own Zoom tool that people are a part of. But I, I'll just, I'm just gonna say this to you. Here's my biggest concern for you if you're just joining us online. Is somehow you gotta find a way towards community. And I think that can look different. I think we're gonna explore some things in the future, but you need relationship. We all need relationship. It's absolutely essential. Next commitment and last one is this, a commitment to generosity. So again, I, when that debt was paid off, it was just like, oh, thank you, Lord. There's just something hanging over us. And I, I just love that we can be more flexible and nimble than ever before. We can be more generous than ever before. There were so many churches that struggled during the um, first couple of months of COVID or so many nonprofits and you wouldn't believe like on behalf of you, we just could take checks and gifts to churches who weren't able to pay their utility bills because they just had like their income vanished. And it was just time after time where we were able to be generous and hurting families. It's just a beautiful place for us to be in. I thank God and I thank you. And here's a question that we're constantly asking ourselves. Are you ready for this question? All right, if Faith Chapel closed its doors tomorrow, who would miss us? And my dream is that you raised your hand, thanks. I miss you too. I miss you too. My dream is that it'd be far more than the people that gather online and in the room. 
There would be like there would be ministries. There would be people who are struggling. Who are like, what are we gonna do now? Faith Chapel has like been this tangible expression of God's goodness to our communities. How are we gonna get by? We want that type of capacity to bless and love people. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for surviving 2020. And I, I'm telling you, I'm really excited about what the future holds. I think it will be different. I don't think it's ever going to go back to what it was, but God is good and he builds his church and the future is going to be beautiful. And I'm just so honored to be a part of it. I, I uh, had a lot of time to lay down and think over the last 10 days or so. And um, one of the things I just thought of is, God, thanks for letting my family be a part of a church like this. Just love you guys and um, I'm so grateful. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.